Hey everybody, welcome to Sports and Shorts of Sorts, episode 31. I think I got the music playing a little better now. We'll see, we'll see how it comes in. There it is. <laughs> My name's Rennie, Ren City Riquet. Let's hop right into our jersey segment. Okay, there's some pretty all-time greats that were number 31. And like, the first one that came to my mind, I gotta think Miller time. Talk about Indiana Pacers legend Reggie Miller. One of the best shooters in NBA history. You may recognize him on Wendy's commercials, or more for his work on TNT, but man, he was a bad mofo. He would talk that shit and back it up. Five-time All-Star, three All-NBA third teams, Olympic gold medal in the 96 Atlanta Olympics. Like, he's in the Hall of Fame. His number 31's retired by the Pacers and his alma mater, UCLA. When he retired, he led the league in three-pointers. But with the way the game's changing, he was passed by Ray Allen, James Harden, of course, Steph Curry, who leads the NBA. But uh, he did make the finals once with the Pacers in 2000, but they walked into some wrecking crew known as Kobe and Shaq and lost in the six. But... Still, he's known as one of the most clutch players in NBA's history. His eight points in nine seconds against the New York Knicks is a moment in NBA folklore. Like, the choke signal we made to Spike Lee, who was sitting courtside trash-talking him the whole time. Such a dope moment. Like, ESPN even made a 30 for 30. You know I talked that show up. On the winning time, Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks. Great watch. I recommend it, but... You know, Reggie may not even be the best baller in his family. His sister, Cheryl Miller, is regarded as one of the best women basketball players ever. Like, she wore number 31 at USC and was the inspiration behind Reggie wearing the same number. Three-time Naismith Player of the Year, winning two NCAA championships. Her number 31, retired by those USC Trojans. She won the gold medal in the 1984 Olympics. She's in the Basketball Hall of Fame as well as the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, you know, in her time, there were not a lot of leagues you could go to. Like, she would light it up in rec games with dudes, but then in the late 80s, she sustained a knee injury that pretty much ruined her playing career. A shame, because something else to watch, like, it was before my time, but there's an HBO sports doc called Women of Troy that highlight those USC years with Cheryl Miller and her teammates Cynthia Cooper, Pamela, and Paula McGee. It's a great sports doc. I recommend it, and wow, something with that Miller family. <laughs> Sticking with the hardwood, there are some pretty good ones that jump out, even though they're not in the Hall of Fame yet or anything. The Matrix, Sean Marion, he got that nickname for his amazing second jump ability. It seemed just quicker than everyone else. Unreal, which was like the movie at the time, The Matrix. So a lot of times he was going up as people were still coming down. That's why I got the nickname. But uh, I think he's borderline Hall of Famer. Four All-Star games, wearing the number 31 in Phoenix. He won a title with the Mavericks in 2011, even though he wore zero. And Marion's teammate on that Mavericks championship team. And the reason Marion had to wear zero is the Jet. And I'm not talking about Kenny the Jet Smith. I'm talking about Jason the Jet Terry. <laughs> he won a title with the Mavericks in 2011. Like I said there, he was sixth man of the year with the club. But he was the guy in Atlanta before heading to the Mavs to be a perfect teammate for Disco Dirk Nowitzki. And uh, he also won the NCAA title with the University of Arizona where his number 31 is retired. 
Another one I'll mention is one that's definitely before my time, but definitely one of the more unique names I've seen, Zelmo Beatty. That Zelmo, you don't see a lot of Zelmos. Tickle Me Zelmo isn't around, but uh, he was a stud early on in his career making two All-Star games, but then he left for the rival ABA, and he was legally barred from playing the one season there with uh, a legal injunction from his the Hawks, his former NBA team. But once he was finally able to play with the Utah Stars, Beatty did great. Three All-Star games, winning the ABA Championship in 71, including playoffs MVP. And a quick mention for a guy who wore a few different jerseys number, but is known for his 31. I'm talking about Cedric Maxwell, known as Cornbread. He won two NBA Championships with the Celtics, including the Finals MVP in 81. Such an impact as a Celtic that they retired his number 31. Like, 22nd Celtic to get that. Such a heralded franchise to have your name up there. That's something else. And uh, my final hoops mention is a female. I'm talking about Tina, Char- Tina Charles. Former number one overall pick is quite the resume. Two-time NCAA champion with the UConn Huskies, teaming up with Maya Moore. Came in the WNBA, won Rookie of the Year, eight-time WNBA All-Star, nine-time first or second team, four-time All-Defensive first or second team, four rebounding titles, and two scoring titles. And in Europe, she's won the Turkish League twice, Polish League. She's got three Olympic gold medals with the U.S. team. She hasn't won that elusive WNBA title, but... She's still one of the best to lace them up. Leaving the hardwood for the diamond, one of the best pitchers probably ever. Talking Mad Dog, Greg Maddox. Maddox, first ballot Hall of Famer. His number 31 is retired by the Cubs and the Braves. He's a card-holding member of the 3,000 strikeout club. You know, only 19 pitchers to do so. Made eight All-Star games, lead the NL and wins three times, the MLB and ERA four times. Four NL Cy Youngs and an outrageous, this is crazy, 18 gold gloves. Most by most gold gloves by anyone, regardless of position. He won his first one in 90, and that began a run of 13 years when he won the National League gold glove. That is, that is crazy. And the still maddening thing, he's only got the one World Series win. And it was uh, part of those Braves teams in 95 over the Indians. Like, it's crazy. The, or, sorry, they're Guardians now, but they were the Cleveland Indians then. But the Braves team, like... They had Maddox, Tom Glavin, Steve Avery, and Smoltz, yet they only won one World Series. That's that's wild. It's a team game, I guess, you know, and you need uh, offense, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, one of the best to play. And his fastball wasn't really outrageous, hitting, like, 93 tops. So that just shows you how dynamic of a pitcher he was when he couldn't rely on that fastball. But speaking of amazing pitchers that suited up for the Cubs, next mention, Hall of Famer Ferguson Jenkins. He suited up for the Phillies, Rangers, and Red Sox, but everybody will remember him as a Cub. I've learned a lot about him, like just in different snippets on PTI from Michael Wilbon, who's from Chicago. But I didn't know Jenkins was born and raised in Ontario. His father was the son of immigrants from Barbados, while his mother was a descendant of American slaves who escaped through the Underground Railroad for settling in southwestern Ontario. Like, crazy history. That's one of my favorite things. Like, you know the players with the jerseys, but you don't know the history. And I'm like, I gotta back that shit up. Oh, man, excuse me. But, yeah, three-time All-Star. Leading the NL and wins twice. Strikeout leader once. Won the NL Cy Young in 71. And he's part of that 3,000 strikeouts club. But 1980, in a custom search in Toronto, Jenkins was found possessing 3 grams of coke, 2.2 grams of hash, and 1.7 grams of pot. Not huge numbers, but still a few different drugs you're traveling with. So, he was suspended indefinitely by Commissioner Bowie Kuhn, but his suspension only lasted two weeks before an independent arbitrator overturned and reinstated Jenkins to the league. A bizarre moment that uh, some say delayed Jenkins' Hall of Fame induction, but he is in there. But, uh... 
Next baseballer I have to mention is Dave Winfield. Great player, two different jersey numbers, but his highlights will be in number 31. 12-time All-Star, seven gold gloves, six silver slugger. His 31s retired by the Padres. He was the first ballot Hall of Famer in 2001. And he won a World Series with the 92 Blue Jays, even though he wore 32 with the Jays. And he's a member of the 3,000-hit club. Um, uh, another MLB great, number 31, Mets legend Mike Piazza. Started his career as a Dodger, winning NL Rookie of the Year in 93. But after they couldn't get a long-term contract negotiated, he was traded to the Marlins, where he'd play five games before being moved to the Big Apple to play for the Mets. And it's probably where he's most remembered. His number 31's retired there. He helped guide the Mets to the 2000 World Series as the, the big subway series between the Yankees and the Mets. They didn't win, but uh, it was close as Piazza would get to winning a ring. He never did get one as a player. He's regarded as one of the best offensive catchers ever, though. 12-time All-Star, 10 Silver Sluggers. Um, and he's in the Hall of Fame. No surprise. <laughs> Final mention at 31 as a guy that's been to a few places, but... He was wearing it for a Met a little bit before getting traded to the Rangers earlier this season. I'm talking Max Scherzer, one of the greatest pitchers of his generation. Uh, he, like I said, he moved to Texas to help their playoff run. He picked up a shoulder injury where they said he was done for the year, but seeing how the Rangers are going, they're saying there's maybe a chance he could come back depending on how far they make it. But he's an eight-time All-Star. He's led the MLB in wins four times, NL in strikeouts three times, three Cy Youngs, and a World Series on his resume. He won the World Series with the Washington Nationals. He's got two no-hitters, and uh, he's got two unique records. One is the most strikeouts in a nine-inning game with 20. It's pretty wild. He shares that with Roger Clemens and Kerry Wood. He's also tied for the most immaculate innings pitched with three. Now, an immaculate inning is when a pitcher strikes out the inning with nine pitches. That's it. And he's done, it's happened 114 times in MLB history, and Scherzer's done it three times. That's wild. He's tied with Sandy Koufax and Chris Sale with that. But this guy's a Hall of Famer for sure. I just hope he can come back this season and pitch because it's always better when he's in it. But uh, we'll leave the diamond here. We'll go with the gridiron. First NFLer I'll mention, Donnie Shell. Undrafted guy, went to the Steelers. He became a legendary figure, part of the Steel Curtain defense. Part of those teams that won four Super Bowls in the 70s. He made five Pro Bowls, and his 51 career interceptions has him 32nd on the all-time list. And although he went undrafted, he still made the College Hall of Fame, College Football Hall of Fame for his time at South Carolina State, and he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Next footballer I mentioned is way before my time, but he's a Green Bay Packer legend, Hall of Famer Jim Taylor. Fullbacks were utilized much differently in the 50s and the 60s, and he was a staple on those uh, Lombardi teams. You know, you might have heard of Lombardi, his name's on the trophy, but <laughs> Lombardi leading the team, Taylor would be part of those four NFL championships pre-Super Bowl era, but Taylor was also a part of that inaugural Super Bowl when the Chiefs lost to the Packers in Super Bowl One. but yeah. How many fullbacks won the NFL MVP? 62, he did that. So, something, again, you probably won't hear a fullback winning the MVP again. <laughs> Last NFL mention, former running back, Jamal Lewis, fifth overall pick, 2000 draft. Right away, he'd be a workhorse for those Ravens teams. He was part of that historic Super Bowl win in 2000, mostly known for their defense. Again, another 30-30 about it. Uh, I mentioned it in episode 24, but... Uh, this offense struggled, and it relied on Lewis to help them win that Super Bowl. Uh, he'd win Offensive Player of the Year in 2003 when he led the league in rushing. 2,066 yards rushing, one of only eight backs to break that 2,000 mark, and uh, still had some pretty good productive years rocking the 31 with the Browns. But uh, 
Let's wrap up our segment here for jerseys. We've got a few. Three ones, a hot number. We'll head to the ice. Four quick mentions of goaltenders. All goaltenders. Surprise. 31. My buddy Kyle's like, oh, you're getting up to episode 30. I bet you there's some goalies. Here we are. And I'm starting with Carey Price, you know? He's one of the best goalies of his generation. Proud representative proud representative of the First Nation heritage. He wears so well. He won Olympic gold medal with Canada in 2014 in Sochi. Spent his whole career with Montreal Canadiens. Seven All-Star games. 2015, he had a ridiculous season. Winning the Hart Trophy, Ted Lindsay, and the Vezina. Fortunately, he hasn't had a Stanley Cup, but uh, still one of the better goalies. Mental and physical health issues have prevented him from playing as of late, but I think he's going to the Hall of Fame. He's got to. Next goalie I'll mention, Grant Fuhrer. He dealt with a lot of adversity in his time, being uh, you know, born to an Afro-Canadian parent and a First Nation Canadian from the Enoch Cree Nation. He had, he had to deal with all kinds of shit, but this guy was solid. He was a rock for those Edmonton teams, winning five Stanley Cups, making six All-Star games, winning the Vezina in 88. His 31 was retired by the Edmonton Oilers the same year he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And uh, another Canadian goalie, Billy Smith, New York Islander legend, was part of those Islander teams that won four straight Cups from 80 to 83, including a Conn Smythe in 83. He's credited with being the first goalie to score a goal in 1979, so that's pretty cool. And he got uh, one Vezina in 82. His 31's retired by the Islanders, and of course, he's uh, in the Hall of Fame. Last goalie I'll mention, last jersey, Cujo, Curtis Joseph, undrafted, bounced around a bit, wearing the 31 for Blues, Oilers, Leafs, Red Wings, Coyotes, and Flames, but three-time All-Star, won a gold medal as part of that uh, Canadian team in Salt Lake City, so... A lot of jerseys, 31. It's a good one. But let's, uh, let's jump to some NFL football. Bum, 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 bum. We ended on the Monday night because uh, it's usually when these air, so I don't see that Monday night game. And it's probably we didn't need to talk about it much. It uh, wasn't good. The Giants don't look good without Saquon Barkley. There were boo birds out a bunch because Danny Dimes was sacked 11 times. This was not really a good one, like I said. Seahawks won 24 3. We'll skip that and go right into the week five stuff. Thursday night was a big one. More for melancholy news because Dick pa- Dick Buckkiss passed away. One of the best names in sports. Age of 80. He passed peacefully in his sleep in his Malibu home, his family said. But, man, ultimate linebacker. Everybody wanted to be a middle linebacker because of him. We'll give him more flowers on episode 51 when we highlight his jersey. But just a bummer for the football world. Like, week one, he was... On ESPN screaming about kicking the Packers' ass, so <laughs> rest in peace to him. But, you know, they had to play the game after, and the Bears, they were inspired. There was no way the Bears, excuse me, were going to lose on the day of Dick Butkus passing. Justin Fields is looking great. The last few weeks, he's looking phenomenal. Uh, three touchdowns again in the first half, like... Ruining the primetime home debut for new Washington ownership. They kept panning the ownership, Magic Johnson, and everything. It's like, oof, rough night. And if you're going up against DJ Moore in fantasy like I was, look away. Eight catches, 230 yards, three touchdowns. I feel like you should have had another. The refs blew the whistle saying he was out of bounds, but you never saw the replay or anything. And I'm like, I think he scored, but I'm glad he didn't get any more points because that, yikes, not looking good, but... Bears' first win since October 24th, 2022. They won 40-20, so they looked really well. You would have noticed uh, Chase Claypool wasn't in the game. He's get He got shipped off to Miami. He has not fit well in Chicago, so we'll see what McDaniels can salvage of him in Florida down in Miami. So 
We hopped over to the UK again for our early Sunday game, the Jaguars and the Bills. Jaguars have just been hanging out over there, and uh, they looked it. They came out the better teams. A. Jones got an early touchdown. They get the two. Josh Allen didn't look too great. He'd hit digs a few times on some big ones, but... Uh, yeah, it's just of late the Bills wanted the score. They they wouldn't get the onside kick. They would get one more chance to try to come back. They tried a hook and ladder play. They got the reception and with the lateral did not go well. Jacksonville held on 25-20, winning two straight in the UK and making my Super Bowl contending team, the Bills, not look very good. So we'll see if they can regroup on American soil. Speaking of bad performances, the New Orleans Saints and the New England Patriots went down, and is this a new low for Bill Belichick? 34 to nothing, they were shut out at home. Over the last two weeks, they've been outscored 72 to 3. So I'm just saying, should Belichick be on the hot seat? I think this guy has the resume to kind of go off on his own terms, but they got to do something. I don't know if Mac Jones has to get taken out. Go with the zappy. Show me the zappy. But there's so many holes on this offense, on this defense. There's injuries. Like, hey, it's going to be a rough year for the Patriots. I mean, they're only silver lining. They're playing the Raiders next week. Maybe that'll help. But uh, NFC, AFC South had a great game, I guess, between the Colts and the Titans. It could have been better, We maybe. But Anthony Richardson, again, leaving the game. I like watching this guy play, but he can't finish a fucking game. He's injured all the time, which shows the importance of a backup quarterback and why Gardner Minshew... It's been very important to the Colts. He filled in. He did made plays when he had to. You know, he had Jonathan Taylor returning with his new contract he signed. And, yeah, the Colts ended up holding on for a 23-16 win. And speaking of rivals, we had that AFC South one. What about the AFC North? Looking at how the, the last few weeks have gone, you think this would be one-sided. The Ravens should kill the Steelers, but... I don't know, Mike Tomlin just has his team ready, and Pickett made plays at times when they needed. Like, Steelers went into the fourth quarter down 10-3. They'd get a safety, a field goal, and then Pickens getting a big pass from Pickett on a 41-yard touchdown, which would give them the, the lead, you know, and they'd go to kneel the ball out, and they'd get a penalty. Like, how do you get a penalty trying to kneel the ball out? So they'd have to punt and give the Ravens a chance that Lamar couldn't bring them back, though he made some big mistakes this game. And there you go. The Steelers end up winning 17-10. Big disappointment for Baltimore. Did not see that happening. Not a divisional battle, but a battle of two ferocious cat mascots. You had the Panthers and the Lions, and uh, this one wasn't really close. The Detroit Lions looked the real deal. Yes, you heard that right. The Detroit Lions looked the real deal. Jared Goff, three touchdowns, only eight complete incompletions on the day. Uh, Bryce Young, number one overall pick, struggled at times again, but he had three touchdowns of his own. But, yeah, they lost 42-24. Big win for the Lions. Like I said, they look good. The kings of the NFC North right now. And uh, Texans-Falcons was an entertaining game with two good young quarterbacks. Well, I've been on Desmond Ritter a bit because he's kind of – it almost looks like he's hurting this team, but he made me shut up today because he led, or Sunday, he led his team down and got them in position for Young Way Koo to get a kick as time expired, and they got the win, 21-19. I thought C.J. Stroud looked really good in this game as well, and he set a record for most pass attempts without an interception, and a record that's continuing because he still hasn't thrown it. But, man, Desmond Ritter, 5-0 and as an Atlanta Falcon at home. And he was undefeated at University of Cincinnati at home. He loves home cooking. But, yeah, Desmond Redder made me eat his words. I was calling for him to be benched, and 
comes back with a big win at home. So on him, he just needs to bring that to the road because I don't know whatever he's doing and for those road games, he needs to switch it up. <laughs> I mentioned the Giants at the beginning of the segment, how awful they looked on Monday Night Football. I mean, this was no different. They finally got a first-half touchdown. I mean, the offense didn't. The defense, Jason Pinnock picked off two on the end zone, returning in 102 yards. So going into halftime, they were down 17-10, and you're like, whoa, these Giants have a chance. No, they did not. <laughs> You blink, Dolphins are up 31-16, Danny Dimes is knocked out of the game, and yeah, other than a few dumb mistakes from Tua, like, they shouldn't have been in the game at all. Tua will clean that up, but I don't know what the Giants will do. They need Saquon in the worst way. So when it comes to contract negotiations, hey, Giants, you pay the man. You need him without him. You're literally nothing. And this is coming from a guy that has Danny Dimes for the last time in fantasy. He got me eight points. Boo, boo Dimes, boo. Anyway... Go to the Boo Angles. The Bengals played the Cardinals, and Jamar Chase was telling people he's always fucking open. So people were questioning his struggles, and Burrow hit him. He made sure when he was open, he got it to him, which is every time it looked like 15 catches, 192 yards, three touchdowns. That's pretty bonkers, but like late in the first half, the Cardinals had a lead, and if it wasn't for the stupid pass by Josh Dobbs, like, out of his own end zone, you shouldn't make that throw. Maybe they shouldn't have put him in position to make that. Regardless, he made the throw. Cam Taylor Britt picked it off, returned it to pay dirt, swung the game a bit. Bengals took off in the second half, 34-20, but you gotta give it to the Cardinals. They are always fighting. They're not giving up out there. And the Eagles-Rams was a pretty good game. Eagles flexed and showed why they're a lot of people's favorites to win the Super Bowl. Like, even not looking their best, they held on to a 23-14 lead. Cooper Cup returned for the Rams, which is pretty exciting. Not good for Pua Nakua fantasy owners, but it's good to see him back. And that Eagles and their brotherly shove, it's just I, it's what a ridiculous name, but it's, it works, you know? It's why they're one of the two undefeated teams left in the NFL. When we had the Jets-Broncos, the heralded Hackett Bowl, you know? Sean Payton calling Nathaniel Hackett out, saying he did the worst head coaching job ever with Denver, one of the worst, which is pretty ridiculous to get from your peers. And this was Hackett's revenge. The Jets actually played for their offensive coordinator, Brees Hall, 22 carries, 177 yards, including a 72-yard touchdown run. Zach Wilson looked like a quarterback at times. You had Russell... Last name Wilson, trying to come back late, and uh, while scrambling, he fumbled the ball, which was promptly returned for a touchdown. Hackett downplayed this game and how it didn't mean much, but you could see on his face how much it meant, and his teammates giving him, like, you gotta feel good for him. Peyton runs his mouth a lot, and, you know, hopefully he enjoys that humble pie. He won't. He'll probably blame this all on Russ or something, but <laughs> what a game. Didn't expect that one to be good, you know? They've been struggling this year, but it worked out. Uh, Another game featuring two quarterbacks from the Netflix show Quarterbacks. Uh, you had Patrick Mahomes and Kirk Cousins. Chiefs haven't looked like they're defending champion cells, but they've been doing enough. They were up two touchdowns going into the fourth. Kirk Cousins would lead his team back with one, but could never get that tied. Get the, another one to tie it up. Like, they had no timeouts. They'd use them throughout the half, and... That and Kirk Cousins' questionable time management didn't help things. So these are two teams going in opposite directions. Chiefs sit 4-1, Vikings 1-4. Yikes. Uh, the Sunday night game everyone hyped up. Cowboys 49ers. I don't, I don't know why. It was probably mostly Cowboy fans. I don't know if the 49ers were that good. I did pick them to win the Super Bowl this year, so they're making me look good. 
But yeah, this game was rough. It was bad. Dallas couldn't move the ball when they tried. You know, Dak ended up with three picks. They couldn't run the ball. San Francisco have so many targets. They're hitting Ayuk. They're hitting McCaffrey. Debo. Kittle got his share with three touchdowns. Like, yikes. And then the 49ers, they, before this game, they sent a late draft pick to the Broncos for former Cowboy Randy Gregory. He's been a beast on the line in the past. Just his last few years in Denver, he never really fit in. So maybe a change of scenery will help him, probably. Only the rich get richer in San Fran. But uh, there is one last game, one Monday night game, the Packers and Raiders. I'm hoping this should be good for me. Jordan Love has the bounce back. Should be a fun one in Vegas. Jimmy G is back for the Raiders, so we'll see how that helps. Devontae Adams was questionable, but going against his old team, he's got to be playing. I imagine he will. But come on, Jordan Love, this is your time. Another primetime night. Let's do better than you did in the Lions game. So let's get this. MLB playoffs. Whew. This, this was tough for me. I came out saying, hey, I've been watching baseball more. I'm feeling confident about my picks. I'm liking it. Man, was I wrong. So, so wrong. Let's let's recap some of that wrongness in the wild card before we jump into our current series. The Blue Jays. Oh, man. Much like an animal picnic during the middle of the day. The bats never came. <laughs> the Jets would have runners in scoring positions and get nothing. The only memories of this Jays wildcard series with the Twins is Jose Barrios getting pulled in Game 2 after only 47 pitches in the fourth inning. An analytic move that had us all scratching our heads to the point of bloodiness. <laughs> and the other memory is Vladdy Jr. getting tagged out at second base with two runners in scoring position and Bo Bichette at the plate. I know, you know, he probably wouldn't have hit anything, but not even giving him the chance... So, ends the season with a bad taste in your mouth. I guess Schneider, it's been announced, is coming back next season. So, I don't know how that's going to sit with some people. But credit to the Twins, you know. So, uh, after game one victory, it was the first postseason win for Minnesota since 2004. Snapping an 18-game losing streak in the playoffs. And after, is it a sweep with two games? Reality asked that question on Around the Horn. I'm not sure if it's a sweep. It's a tidy. They tidied uh, the Jays in two games. And uh, first uh, postseason win since 2002. So props to them. My other AL disaster, the Tampa Bay Rays. I had my my rhyming teams in the championship series. That won't happen. No Rays Jays this year. But man, they they played bad. They They didn't hit either. And game one, there are only 19,704 people there. The lowest since 1919 for a playoff game, minus COVID years. But, yeah, like I said, the bats didn't show up. They lost 4-0 game one. They lost 7-1 game two. Fantastic season that just fizzled out like that. But, I, I mean, at least there were many people to see it. And then the NL, man, I had the Brewers beating the Diamondbacks. But the Diamondbacks were like, fuck you, Rennie. Because, uh... They killed it. Corbin Carroll, what a what a delight to watch. I highlighted him a bit before the postseason. And, man, this dude packs a punch quick as hell in the regular season. First rookie to record 25 home runs and 50 stolen bases, like I've mentioned. And really something to keep an eye on going forward. Arizona, got to watch them. Brewers, yikes. They returned the Milwaukee. NL Central crown, but really nothing else to go with it. The last wild card matchup was the easiest one. Everybody picked the Phillies to win, and the Phillies won quite easily. The Marlins, they just, they didn't really look like they had a chance. It probably would have been better if the Cubs could have made a run and get in there, but nah, say la vie. Is what it is. We'll start with the ALDS, the Texas Rangers. They went in the Baltimore, coming in hot. Baltimore had a fantastic season, and their crowd was buzzing. 
in my preseason or pre-postseason predictions, I said the Orioles were gonna they were gonna flounder in this series. You know, they're young. I figured, you know, a big stage at home they'd flounder. I had them floundering, you know, to another team, but <laughs> the Rangers still did what I kind of thought they'd do. They went in and stole game one, three, two. On Sunday, the Orioles got off to a better start going up two, but then the Rangers would get five the next inning and follow that with a Mitch Garver grand slam, making it 9-2. Like, the Orioles made it interesting. They came back late and ended up losing 11-8. But they're down 2-0 going back to Texas, and this is only a best-of-five series, so this could be over Tuesday. The Orioles have a huge hole to climb out. We'll see if they can extend that series. But like I said, this could be a sweep on Tuesday. So, yikes, we'll see. AL West champion, the Houston Astros were waiting for the Twins. I thought they'd play the Jays, but hey, whatever. <laughs> Justin Verlander was looking like a stud. Astros were up 5 nothing going into the 7th. Verlander was out of the game now, though. And then the Twins' bats woke up a bit. and get four runs in the 7th, make it interesting, but they lose 6-4. Then in Game 2, the Twins started off hot, getting timely hits and keeping the home side at bay. And what all the Astros could get was a Jordan Alvarez home run in the 8th inning. They hit a two-run shot there, but they'd lose 6-2, and that series is tied at 1. Game 3 will be on Wednesday, game or Game 3 on Tuesday, Game 4 on Wednesday. So we'll see where that series goes. That It's an interesting one. Um, the series everyone has wanted, the AL East battle between the Phillies and the Braves. The Braves have been the Goliaths all season, looking destined to win a World Series. The Phillies have been carrying that swag with them, and that would carry over from the wild card as the Phillies would shut out the Braves. The Atlanta crowd didn't know what to do. They're not used to seeing shutouts, but big 3 nothing victory. Game 2 is going down Monday, and it'll be a doozy. That'll be an important one. Uh, the other NL matchup between the Diamondbacks and Dodgers, you know, I didn't even give it Arizona a chance to be in this series, so what would I give them against the Dodgers? But, again, they're making me look like a goddamn fool. They got to call pre or future hall of famer clayton kershaw he gave up five runs before the first out of the game you get one out we give up another run before getting yanked and leaving with some six stats of six hits six earned runs a walk and 0.1 innings played oh not a good outing but on the other side you had merrill kelly who they were highlighting has struggled against the dodgers his whole career except for game one in which he went 6.1 innings strong striking out five and giving up no runs diamondbacks cruised with 11-2 easy victory game two's monday see what the dodgers can do to bounce back tough go for magic johnson having his commanders get beat out to the bears and then watching his dodgers lose game one we'll see what happens <laughs> There was so much going down footy this past week. I won't get to all of it. I'll do a few of the big points, but we almost need another second show just for footy. But Champions League, great European, greatest European tournament, had some games midweek, and I'll highlight a few ones. Like I said, the group I highlighted this match when the groups were first released were Manchester United, Galatasaray, and man, did they not disappoint. Manchester led on two different occasions, but... Twice the Turkish side came back, man. And then Onana, who's had some struggles with Man U this year, terrible giveaway, right? to Martins and Casemiro had to come in and take him out. Straight red card, and it would give them a penalty. Acardi would miss the penalty for Galatasaray, but he'd make up for it in the 81st when he'd score, put the team ahead, and give them a win. Tough loss for Man U, but yikes. And then another big game was between Italian champions Napoli and Real Madrid. Back and forth game that would require Real Madrid to get a, a late one to take it 3-2. Mikel Arteta looked stunned as Arsenal went into France and lost to Lens 2-1. Atletico Madrid hosted Dutch champions Feyenoord would win 3-2. 
big comebacks went down as well as Antwerp jumped out to a 2-0 lead over Shakhtar Donetsk, only for the Ukrainian side to come back and win 3-2. Celtic also jumped out to an early lead over Italian club Lazio, only for Lazio to come back and win 2-1, crushing a lot of Scottish fan spirits along the way. Newcastle obliterated PSG 4-1 in front of a raucous Geordie crowd. And Inter Milan, Bayern Munich, Man City, Barcelona all held on to victories. And the younger cousin of the Champions League, the Europa League, West Ham beat Freiburg, Liverpool beat Union, St. Gilles, and Brighton and Marseille played to a 2-2 draw. In the Premier League, we had Man U needing some more magic. They needed two stoppage time goals by substitute Scott McTominay to beat Brentford 2-1. Chelsea looked like the mold selves, beating Burnley 4-1. Everton looked good, beating Bournemouth 3-0. West Ham played admirably against Newcastle. His new signee, Ghanaian, Mohamed Kudos, scored in the 89th minute, which is pretty big for us to tie Newcastle. Biggest match of the weekend was Arsenal holding defending champs Man City and getting an 86-minute goal by Gabriel Martinelli to win 1-0, giving Man City their second straight loss in the Premier League. This does not happen very much under Pep Guardiola. I can only imagine what he's saying to that team. And with Tottenham beating Luton Town 1-0 this week, they have leapfrogged City, and they sit atop the Premier League. So, wow, Tottenham at top. Good for them. <laughs> the Bundesliga, where Harry Kane left Tottenham to go to Bayern Munich, his team won. Leverkusen, Stuttgart, and Dortmund all won their matches. So nothing changed in that league. Leverkusen still sit atop the German League. In Italy, Juventus beat Torino, which helped them move up to third place. They advanced to that position because Napoli lost to Fiorentina 3-1. Inter Milan could only draw 2-2 with Bologna in the wildest scenes in Genoa. American Christian Pulisic would put AC Milan up in the 87th minute. Then in stoppage time, AC Milan's keeper, Mike Magnan, would get sent off with a red, straight red. So they were out of subs. They had to put Olivier Giroud in net. And he actually had to make a big save late. It was crazy. And then Genoa would get a red card late. And they'd end out a man down. So it was a 1-0 victory for AC Milan. Just just crazy. And now Giroud is getting his own keeper shirt sold in the store. <laughs> Sorry, I need a sip there. <laughs> In Spain, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid each picked up wins. Surprise team of the year, Girona kept their hot start going with a win. Barcelona would go down 2 to Granada, but would get two goals to come back and secure the draw. Some history made there. Lamine Yamel would become the youngest scorer in La Liga history, netting a goal at 16 years old, 87 days. I was definitely not playing professional soccer at that age, but... <laughs> Real Madrid sit atop the league with Girona, like I said, surprisingly right behind them. Finishing off in France, Nice, Monaco, Marseille, and PSG all won. Olympic Lyon were looking for their first win up 3-1 at halftime. Alexander Lacazette had those goals, but Lorient would get two second-half goals and split the point. Lyon continues to sit near the basement in the French league. Just amazing to me how, how they struggled this year. Monaco, they're still in first in the league. Uh, NHL season, we're coming back. It kicks off Tuesday, guys. Bang, bang, bang. But it's that time of the year. I Like I said, I haven't watched the last few years that much. I was watching a bit more playoffs like I do every year. But I'm going to try to you know, pay more attention during the regular season. Osmos is picking up. There's always good athletic articles. There's lots of ways to get into it. Some things I'm looking forward to this year. Connor Bedard, obviously. What is he going to do with Chicago? The hype surrounding this kid is crazy. Nobody can do at the younger levels. What's he going to do as a pro? Can't wait to see it. What's going to happen with the Blue Jackets and post Mike Babcock? Is the new coach is going to be posting shit up? Excuse me. 
pictures on the wall for everyone to see. I doubt it, but how do you bounce back from having a coach come in for... I don't, he was barely there, and he was there, and he had to resign. So we'll see what they do. Connor McDavid, he's probably the best player in the league. Can he finally get to that elusive Stanley Cup? He's got the individual accolades. He just needs that team one because the guys, he's the man. <laughs> Can Vegas repeat? You know, will they bet on themselves? Well, you can't actually as players, but well, other people will. Um, will obnoxious Maple Leafs finally get there? Their title. I, I meant Maple Leafs fans, but yeah, we'll call the, the team obnoxious as well. I meant the fans, but we'll see what happens for them. There's always a team that pops out of nowhere and surprises us. Maybe Philadelphia, team of my youth, you know, maybe they're back. <laughs> How close can Alexander Ovechkin get to actually beating Wayne Gretzky's all-time goal mark? The, you know, a mark no one thought was ever touchable. We'll see. It all starts Tuesday, so tune in. Bing, bing, bing. <laughs> NCAA football, before we jump into these few wild games I'll mention, we got to mention former Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald. He's filed his own lawsuit against the university over getting fired over those hazing allegations. He was there 17 years, and uh, he was initially suspended for two weeks following this uh, investigation for the hazing. And then they said, you know... This will be it. This is the only suspension we'll give you. And then they, they went on to fire him. So now he seeks more than $130 million in damages because they had an oral agreement where he would just have a suspension. And I guess the one thing going his way is that the university is supposed to give an intent to fire before firing. You may remember that when I mentioned MSU giving Mel Tucker the intent to fire him for the scandal going on with him at Michigan State University. And the fact Northwestern did it, didn't administer that uh, notice to be fired. This could end up costing the university $130 million. It's paperwork is ridiculous and the cost of it. <laughs> but yeah, enough of the dramatics, well, off the field, the dramatics on the field. You had the Red River rivalry game, Texas and Oklahoma. What an atmosphere. They had Pat McAfee there calling the game on his broadcast and it was back and forth Oklahoma would go ahead with 15 seconds left to Dylan Gabriel would hit Nick Anderson for it on a three-yard pass Alabama held on to beat Texas A&M Mississippi held on to beat Arkansas Dion's Colorado team was in a tight one against Arizona State where they'd come back late setting up a last second field goal by Alejandro Mata who danced it off USC needed three overtimes and a thriller to beat Arizona. A slip up for them, but they, they got the win. That's all that matters. Probably the wildest of the wild this weekend. Georgia Tech surprise victory over Miami. Miami was up in this game, and all they had to do was just kneel it, kneel the ball. But they thought, hey, we'll run the ball. We'll run the clock out. And by running, they fumbled. Georgia Tech recovered. Haynes King would hit Christian Leary on a 44-yard touchdown pass, and that's it. That won the game. Disastrous loss for the U. I don't know how you come back from that. Oof. Next team was playing so well. That's that's a tough one. That's a tough pill to swallow there. Been hyping it up all season. WNBA Finals. We got our matchup. The Liberty and the Aces. Game one went down Sunday. And the Liberty had a small lead early on. But the Aces came right back. And 
you know, it was a three-point game at halftime. John Quill Jones, the forgotten figure, the one I always say is like the Chris Bosch in this big three situation. She played well. Brianna Stewart, Marina Johannes, they all played well. But second half, I don't know what Becky Hammond told this Aces team at half, but defending champs look the real D. They re, the real deal. They outscored the Liberty by ten in the third, another ten in the fourth. Three different players hitting 20 points, and Asia Wilson wasn't even one of them. She finished with 19. You had 26 from Jackie Young and Kelsey Plum, 20 from Chelsea Gray. Their defense picked up. Like, they are ready to go. Game two is Wednesday, and next Sunday could be a potential game three title clinching game because this is a best of five as well. So some good basketball. Give it a give it a watch. There's some, some good stuff out there. Formula One returned this weekend, and uh, we had a sprint Saturday where we had the uneventful title being won by uh, Max Verstappen. There was nothing really to show there. Like, he had won it in the sprint, you know? He didn't even win the sprint. He finished second. Piastri won the sprint, but... The actual race went down Sunday, and uh, like I said, we had a champion. We had a constructors' champion already settled with six races to go, but we had to do it, you know, Qatar and GP included. And Max Verstappen did his thing. It was a three-stop race, but there was some drama. Lewis Hamilton got into it with Mercedes teammate George Russell on the first lap, causing Lewis to lose. He took full responsibility. He's a very accountable guy, but he was also out of the race, you know. And uh, guess who won? Max Verstappen, yeah, 14th race of the season, 14 out of 17, that's maddening, there is absolutely no parity, <laughs> the two McLarens would round it out, you know, Oscar Piastri second, Lando in third, George Russell and Charles Leclerc just off the podium behind them, next race is in America on 20, October 22nd, they'll be going down in Austin, Texas, so uh, we'll see what happens there, like I said, wild week of sports, but where was I going to go for this episode short? And I'm like, man, it's getting darker earlier outside. Oh, not as dark as it did in Yellowknife when I lived there, where it would get dark real quick. Or you'd have it sunny as hell, you know? That's the way she goes. And I thought, well, let's talk about first party. First party I went to there. Like I said in episode one, way back yonder, 30 episodes ago, in this episode one, not Star Wars, like I said, no Jar Jar, just Ren City. And I mentioned moving up to Yellowknife, and my mom was working out at Athletes World. I got a job there. I'd meet some people. We were hanging out, and then I was going to my first party, first bush party. And I don't know if it's a ginger thing or if it's, like, a smiley thing. I'm usually a smiley guy or if I'm a bigger guy, but it seems like people just want to fucking punch me in the face sometimes at, at parties, at new parties, and I'm a new guy. I've had people say, oh, you smile too much. I'm like, What? Is that a reason to punch someone? I guess if you don't, we don't like that. But this guy, this one guy started beaking me and, you know, some early 2000s trash talk said, hey, uh, yeah, you look pretty gay. Real harsh insult, right? And so I was just smiling and I was like, uh, thanks, I don't swing that way, but I appreciate it. Thank you. I am feeling good about myself now. Maybe we can find you someone tonight. Which just enraged him because it seems like people who say, hey, you're gay, do not like any idea coming back to them that someone might think they're gay. So this really pissed them off. And, of course, he responded in the right way by proceeding to headbutt me right in the nose. I had never been headbutt in the nose. First headbutt. <laughs> but, yeah, they broke us up right away. I was the new guy. And, yeah, my nose was just like a fire hydrant. I, I don't get into a lot of nose blades, but it was, it was raining. So... <laughs> 
the crew I was with, we went to the hospital there and got a bunch of gauze so I could at least clean my shit up, you know, not a, not an ideal first party. And then I had to go show my mom, like looking like a mummy face here and, uh, not ideal, but I don't know, something about getting punched at parties. I just have a punchable face, but, uh, another yellow knife party. I have to mention this house party. I didn't get punched in the face luckily but i believe this guy's grandma was out of town for a few months or something and he was looking after the house if you want to call it that but it's the only time i saw a hole in the wall where you could walk from one bedroom to another through the fucking hole so that ain't right <laughs> it was a good time though like i remember going to the bathroom upstairs we hawaiian hotbox that if you're unfamiliar with a hawaiian hotbox it's when you're in a bathroom and you get the steam going you know you run the hot taps total waste of water and you get that uh, nice steamy going, which uh, makes it better to smoke pot in, you know, makes it a better experience. So that was something to do. And after doing that, going down the living room, packed living room, saw this drunk guy holding a fire extinguisher. And you're like, oh boy, that's not a good combo. <laughs> so uh, I already started leaning towards the door and sure as shit, he starts spraying this fire extinguisher in a packed living room like WTF, mate. So I get outside. And as I'm outside, I see like police coming up to go inside. And I'm like, fuck this so ran home as much as i could i feel like you could run a lot longer as a kid and uh yeah i got home freezing because derp winter and yellow knife it's cold but i live to see another day and talk about another party like i did today episode 31 we're in the books we made it miller time and uh thanks for coming along guys it's canadian thanksgiving so uh hopefully you're enjoying with your family let's see if my music's still there it is Hopefully this is all working, but uh, like I said, thanks for coming out. Episode 31 in the book. This is Ren City on sports and shorts of sorts. Ren City out.